Well, I see more and more of you are bringing your Bibles, uh, which is awesome. Uh, Each and every week as we gather for worship, I do want to encourage you to bring your Bible. Um, You can also, um, you know, pull up the scripture text on your uh, phone or or, or iPad or however you'd like. But uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in scripture. Uh, The sermons might be just a little bit longer than what you're used to. Uh, The last few weeks, I think they've been close to 30 minutes. And so if you find your neighbor sleeping, just kick them a little bit uh, to stay awake. So uh, we are going to spend some significant time again in God's word this morning. We're going to be in Matthew 6, if you've got your Bibles. Matthew 6, um, beginning with verse 25, um, just kind of a context setup. Uh, This is the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is preaching. He's preaching a sermon, and uh, as he goes through the Beatitudes, this follows right uh, after uh, the Beatitudes. And before I read this morning, I'm going to invite us uh, to bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Oh God, we thank you for a beautiful day. We thank you for this gathering of your saints. We thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you come and meet us in all seasons of life. And Lord, you have met us, promised to meet us here this morning. And so may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, be acceptable in your sight, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to double check my uh, recording. So this is not amplification in the house. This is recording so that we can post sermons uh, on the website. So the sermons are both audio and video. Um, right now, we've just got a vi- couple of the videos uh, posted, um, but that's why I'm wearing this this morning, so you can kind of take... Um, so if you can't hear me in the back row, uh, let me know. Uh, I'll try and project. So, you know, it was a big week uh, in our house, uh, the Goke household this week. Our son, Logan, uh, packed up his car uh, and uh, headed back to college for his sophomore year of college. And so as he drove away, it was just that moment, that reminder that you blink and your kids are gone. So enjoy these days because they will leave the house uh, soon enough. Logan's uh, studying in southern Florida in West Palm Beach And uh, so he loves, he's excited to go to Florida. Florida's an interesting place uh, because just 80 years ago, there were fewer than a million people living in Florida. Florida 80 years ago was a miserable place to go because it was very, very hot. Nobody wanted to go to Florida, right? Certainly not to visit, much less to live. But 80 years ago, things began to change. And today, we are reminded that there are more than 20 million people living in Florida. Many baby boomers, some of you maybe, uh, will scoot off to Florida for the winter months. So what has happened in these past few decades that everything has changed? No, it's not Walt Disney. That's just a few decades ago. Well, it all began in 1902, and a young man, an engineer by the name of Willis Carrier, was standing out on a railroad, and he was looking out at these rail cars, and he was thinking to himself, I wonder if somehow we could capture the fog and make things just a little bit cooler. 
He had this epiphany, this eureka idea. What if somehow in the midst of everything that's so hot, we could just cool things down a little bit? So Willis Carrier patented the idea of making things just a little bit cooler. And in 1932, he pitched that idea at the St. Louis World's Fair. Anybody 1932 at the St. Louis World's Fair? That was just a few years ago. Well, of course, that idea took off. He called it the igloo of tomorrow. And most of us, we don't even think about air conditioning, do we? We just assume that we will have air conditioning. Many of us were born in a hospital room that had air conditioning, and today we don't think twice about air conditioning as we listen to it hum in this room until our air conditioning breaks down and then we think we've hit a minor catastrophe in our lives, right? There's a lot of assumptions we make about life. And this morning, as we're thinking about faith and disciples, what it means to have faith as disciples of Jesus Christ, I think we assume a lot of things. And this morning, I want to invite us, I want us to challenge to peel back some of the layers of faith. Maybe some of those things about uh, faith that we just are assuming that maybe are true, but maybe aren't true. I recently came across a book by uh, Michael Crichton. The book is called Timeline, and he talks about all these assumptions we make in everyday life. Living in the 21st century, it's an interesting time to live because we assume so much today the people just a hundred years ago did not assume we live in interesting times here in the 21st century. And so this is what Crichton writes. He says, if you were to say to a physicist in 1899, in 100 years, in 1999, there would be moving images that would be transmitted into homes all around the world from satellites in the sky that bombs of unimaginable power would threaten the entire human species, that antibiotics would abolish infectious disease, but that the disease would fight back, that women would have the power to vote and pills to control reproduction, that every day millions of people would take to the air and travel in airplanes all around the world, that you could cross the Atlantic at 2,000 miles an hour, that humankind would travel to the moon and back and then lose interest, that microscopes would be able to see individual atoms, that people could carry telephones that weigh just a few ounces and could speak to anyone in the world without wires, or that most of these miracles depended on technology the size of a postage stamp. And it uses a theory called quantum mechanics. If you said all of this to a physicist in 1899, they would most certainly think that you are mad. They couldn't imagine those things in 1899. That's just a little over a hundred years ago. Medical science, all science, said those things are impossible. And yet today, 
Most of us just assume all these things to be true. And so this morning, I want to continue to just camp out on some of these assumptions as it relates to faith. As Jesus is teaching about faith in Matthew 6, he's teaching about what it means for us to live into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We call this discipleship, of course. And so in Matthew 6, beginning with verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, about what you will wear. Jesus is saying to the people, as you think about your life, as you think about your life and all these things, don't worry about your life and all these things. Now, do we have any worriers here today? Yeah. I love that Jesus is talking about worry. Because so many of us, I think all of us, struggle with worry. And worry, of course, is something that lives up in our heads. It sits in our heads and maybe we worry at night as we're laying in bed. We worry about our children. We worry about our spouses. We worry about our friends. We worry about ourselves. And worry is one of those things that can just fog our heads. It can lock us up. It can tie us up. And Jesus says, don't worry about those things, your life, what you will eat, what you drink, your body, or what you will wear. And when we think about faith, we oftentimes think of faith as something that lives up in our head. It's as if Jesus is saying to us, just turn off the worry button. Just shut it off. Don't worry about those things. Don't think about those things. And one of the assumptions I think we often think about as it relates to faith is that somehow faith is merely an intellectual exercise, something that just lives up in our heads. That if I think something, if I don't think something, that's either faith or the absence of faith. And when we hear Jesus talk about these things, just shut it off. Don't worry about these things. This is really called, at the end of the day, assertionism. Assertionism is this idea that faith is up in our heads, and if we just stop doing it, that somehow we can control our faith. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You ever seen that bumper sticker? God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Sometimes we think, oh, that's faith. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's this idea, if I'm not even going to just think about it because God said it. That's assertionism. Maybe some of you who are parents have looked at your kids and said, I said it. So close your mouth, sit down, don't ask questions, just believe it because I said it. That's assertionism. Sometimes I'll hear pastors say, this is what it is, 
And so you should believe it. Don't think about it. I'm a pastor. Just believe it because I say it. That's assertionism. Sometimes we'll hear politicians say it. I said it, so it must be true. We hear this all the time, don't we? This idea of assertionism. Just because someone says it, it's true. And so we hear these words of Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you drink, about your body, what you will wear. Just because Jesus said it, does that mean it's true? That's assertionism. And we wrestle with this idea. Assertionism is what we know as blind faith. When you come to worship on Sunday morning, check your brains at the door. Don't think about it. Just accept it because Jesus says it. But you know what? Jesus rejected assertionism. He said it's not enough just that I or anyone else says it. Think about it. Consider it. He goes on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothes? Jesus begins to engage them with philosophical thought. He doesn't say just don't worry. He says, isn't life more than food and clothes? Think about it. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus says, look to nature. Look out the window. Look at the birds. They're a great example of how God takes care of things. He says, consider nature. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus is using logic. He's saying, don't just check your brains at the door. He says, aren't you more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Jesus is using reasoning. He says, look at science. I take care of these things. Of course I'm going to take care of you. And he uses logic and reasoning as he's preaching. And then he goes on, he says, Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Jesus uses history. He reminds them that throughout time he took care of Solomon and he took care of all of God's people over and over and over in this passage as Jesus is preaching. He's saying, use your brains. Think about it. To have faith means that we use what God has given us, our brains. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Think about it. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Over and over, Jesus is using all sorts of different ways for the people to think about what it means to have faith. 
The great philosopher Clint Eastwood <laughs> once said, God gave you a brain. You really ought to use it. God gave each of us a brain, and he invites us to use it as we think and not just shut it off. Sometimes as we go through life, we run into challenges, into struggles. And I don't know if you've ever um, gone through a, a struggle or a challenge in your life, and someone has said something to you along the lines of, well, you just need to have more faith. As if you can just shut it off. Just shut off in your head any kind of reasoning or thought. It's not very helpful, is it? In fact, it's very unsatisfying. And over and over, Jesus would teach people about the importance of using their brain to grow deep in their faith. One day, Jesus was teaching a parable. We know it as the parable of the soils. And he was teaching about how some seed fell uh, along the path. The birds came along and ate it up. And that was kind of a, an ex a religious experience. It's what we know as a flash in the pan. Here today, gone tomorrow. And then Jesus talks about sowing some seeds in other places. But because of the cares, the concerns of the world, it never grew up. And then Jesus talks about the seed that was sown among the rocks. There wasn't good soil. And so it would grow up really fast. And then the sun came down and scorched the plant. And it died. And Jesus says there was no root system. And as people, followers of Jesus Christ, we need a root system. And our root system is our brain that God has given to us. So, you know, one of the reasons why Faith Lutheran Church was started is so that when we come through these doors, when we gather together, it's a safe place for us to ask the difficult questions of faith. It's a place where we can engage mentally. We can open God's word and study it together. And we're not always going to have answers, but we're going to use our brains because we reject assertionism. Because I think Jesus rejected assertionism. We're going to wrestle with these things and we're going to look at one another and challenge each other like Jesus did that day at the Sermon on the Mountain. So the second assumption I want us to address this morning in regards to faith is this idea that the more stuff we know, the more knowledge we know, the more information we have in our heads, the more faith we have. But that's also a bit problematic, isn't it? Knowledge does not simply equal faith. Back when I was in seminary, I had a, a professor. I took a class called Philippians. It was a New Testament class, and we had all sorts of uh, books for this class. But the professor had one book. It was the Greek New Testament. And he would walk into class... And he would set the Greek New Testament down on his table and he would open it up and he would begin to teach. And he could read Greek absolutely fluently. 
And he could conjugate verbs in his sleep. And he could go anywhere in the Greek New Testament and he could tell us about this word and that word and the other word. And he understood all the cultural context. He understood Greek idioms. And he understood Greek literature. And he talked about Homer and the Iliad and all sorts of ancient Greek things that were going on. I mean, this guy was a scholar scholar. He knew everything there was to know about the Greek New Testament. And so as he's training future pastors to understand the New Testament in the Greek language, it was a very odd experience. Because every day when he would show up to class, he always showed up with a tie and a coat, and his hair was perfectly in order. And then as he would go throughout the class, and as he was teaching us the Greek New Testament, he became disheveled and uncomfortable. Pretty soon he would loosen his tie. After a bit, he would be scratching his head, and by the end of class, his hair was a mess. He would get hot and take off his coat. He was a wreck. And by the end of the class period, he was so emotionally spent and worn out that he looked exhausted, he sounded exhausted, and you know, his clothes were hanging out all over the place. This guy was a wreck. It was a very odd class. And so one day, as he was teaching us about all the information of the Greek New Testament, he was talking about a part in the New Testament as it relates to the church. So I raised my hand and said, where do you go to church? He said, I don't go to church. I don't have time to go to church. I'm too busy traveling and teaching people about the New Testament. This professor was so busy teaching people about the Bible and about Jesus that he himself neglected his own relationship with Jesus. It's a real danger in the church, and I see it all the time. People can spend an extraordinary amount of time and energy and intellectual effort to understand things. And they think when you understand and when you know, that must equal faith. And I see even pastors do this. Sometimes pastors will come into a a worship service and they'll use a, a Greek word. And I could tell you the Greek word for disciple. It's mathete. Does that help anybody this morning grow in your faith? You all know what the Greek word is for disciple. You've just acquired more knowledge. But at the end of the day, so what? So what if you know more information about the Bible? So what if you know more information about Jesus? If living by faith all just sits up here, it's all academic, I think it's all for naught. We're reminded in Scripture that oftentimes it was the academics who butted heads with Jesus. It was the religious scholars who knew so much about those 600-plus laws, and they would say to Jesus, Jesus, you just don't know enough. Remember, it was the religious academics and scholars who plotted Jesus' execution. 
Sometimes I think we assume that having more knowledge equals more faith. But over and over in Scripture, we see that is not the case. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is helpful. Knowledge helps us think through these things as Jesus teaches us this morning. But Jesus invites us to consider something new. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Jesus says, you know, in order to have faith, it's not just about what's up here, but it's about what's here. It's about what's in your heart. It's about how you're walking with Jesus and living with Jesus. We don't check our brains at the door. We use our brains to think, to know, to grow, to understand. But if it just stays up here and doesn't also live here, we're in big trouble. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking about a relationship. He's talking about a connection with God. A couple weeks ago, I was out at a baseball field watching my son play Little League Baseball. And as I was standing in the, or sitting in the stands, a mom sat down next to me. And she hadn't caught any of the baseball games that summer, but uh, she introduced herself. Her husband had been to most of the ball games. And after she introduced herself to me, she said, hey, I hear you're part of a new church called Faith. I said, yeah, that's right. She said, you know, I am so excited because I've heard you guys are a different kind of church. And she just wanted to encourage me. And she went on to share with me about her husband. And this morning, I'm going to call him Jimmy. And her husband, Jimmy, grew up in a church. And he learned about Jesus. He studied Jesus. He grew in his knowledge of Jesus. He went to Sunday school. He went to confirmation. And Jimmy had a lot of ideas about who Jesus was. But as Jimmy went through life, Jesus didn't really live here. Jimmy was a religious person. She said about five years ago, my husband, his faith moved from here to here. She said, I got to tell you, everything has changed in his life and in our family. He's much less angry and irritable. He prioritizes his time less at work, and now he spends more time with our family. It's been an extraordinary journey. It's so interesting that someone could spend their entire life in a church where faith just sits up here and doesn't move to here. She said a few years ago, two years ago, Jimmy had a health diagnosis that was pretty serious. And he's been walking this journey this diagnosis that's been really, really hard. And she said, but you know what? Not for a single moment has he lost his faith. In fact, he's been more positive than ever. He's been more hopeful. He's been more optimistic. And she said, I got to tell you, the diagnosis is not good. 
but he has faith. And I think about each one of us here this morning. And I think about those things in our own heads, those struggles, those challenges that we know. And sometimes it just sits up here and it needs to move to here so that we can truly allow Jesus to do some work in our lives. And I don't know what challenges or struggles you brought to worship this morning. We all have them, right? But having faith means that we engage here and here. And this morning, I want to encourage all of us, like Jimmy, to have a new kind of faith and not just go through life, go through the day with the same old assumptions about what it means to be people of faith. Let us pray. Oh God, this is one of those extraordinary moments of decision, of consideration, of reflection, of wondering. Because, Lord, as we peel back some of these layers of what it means to be people of faith, you are inviting us to something new, something extraordinary, to step out into a relationship with you, a connection like maybe we've never had before. And so, God, we thank you for the gift of our brains that you've given to us to think, to consider. But, God, we also thank you for the gift of our hearts, the ways in which you invite us to lay them before you and invite you to heal those wounds in our lives. Lord, thank you for the gift of faith that you've given to each one of us in this place. And Lord, we invite you to renew us and transform us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.